direct our thoughts. Help us, Father, to pull some truths from these, uh, from these chapters, Lord, that will be able to help us. And bless us, Lord, I pray. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Give me strength where I am weak. And I pray that you bless us. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Well, we have uh, spent the last couple of weeks, as I said, talking about the truth about change. Uh, change isn't always fun. We looked the first week and said that change happens uh, whether we like it or not. It's, it's just a part of life. And change is going to happen. We looked last week at the idea that God uses change to change us, to be more like Christ. And he uses that. But even still, change isn't always fun. Uh, change often brings some very positive results, however. Um, because, but change can be scary. Uh, we often put off things that we know are going to require change because we don't really want to go there. And we kind of procrastinate about some things. I titled the sermon today, um, I'll Do It Tomorrow, <laughs> with the idea of a procrastination. And that's really not helpful. Uh, what do you procrastinate about? Is it a chore, um, homework maybe, teenagers and children, um, a project at work that needs to be done, uh, dealing with an awkward situation, maybe where forgiveness needs to be given? Uh, everyone procrastinates sometimes. Uh, some people procrastinate all the time. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm a horrible procrastinator. Uh, I like to say that I'm a perfectionist. I like things orderly and clean and just right. Uh, to be honest, I'm slightly OCD a little bit. Actually, I say that I'm CDO because that's alphabetical order the way it should be. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I like things in a certain way. You wouldn't know it, though, and the problem is I'm a procrastinating perfectionist. Uh, I, want it, I want it right, but I'll fix it tomorrow. Um, it's not usually based on laziness. Usually it's uh, something like this. It's usually I just have so many things going on. I have a hard time setting down and uh, setting down the other irons in the fire and working on the thing that I need to take care of. Uh, the toilet downstairs in the basement needed a new flapper for a while now. And I kept saying, I need to go, I need to go do that. I need to do that. I set an alarm on my phone to go off every day to remind myself. And it would go off every day. And it said, flapper needs to be changed. I said, oh, yeah, okay, I got to do that. Oh, man, I can't stop what I'm doing right now. But I got to do that. I'll, I'll snooze that. I went off and it would snooze and I would snooze and I would snooze it. And the problem was, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I just kind of procrastinated and put it off. And I, I just end up canceling, and I couldn't get to it right then. I end up doing it the next day. I tried to do it the next day. Uh, you know, I, I repeatedly turned it off and off uh, so many times that finally, uh, one day, I, I just set everything down. I said, you know what? I'm never going to get this done if I don't just do it. And I set everything down. I went downstairs, and I looked at the toilet, and there was an angle, uh, angles, there was no angle stop on the, on the toilet uh, where you turn the water off so that the thing would go off. And I said, great. How am I going to change the flapper? The water's just going to continually run if I don't do that. I said, I'll have to figure something out. I can't do it right now. I'll have to work on it later. And I ended up putting it off a little bit farther. And uh, because I don't trust my memory to get that kind of flapper and, uh, you know, everything, I, I, I needed to take the flapper off so I could take it to the store. It was a little bit different than I had seen before, and I was afraid to just to go off of my memory. Um, I guess I could have taken a picture, but it was kind of difficult to see in there uh, exactly where what I needed to look at. And so I just didn't have time right now, so I, I put it off again. And then I heard the light switch uh, cover broke in the, men's, in the boys' bathroom downstairs, and it needed to get a, get a new cover so the boys don't touch the wire that's in there. It's a very important issue there. Um, and I went to look at it, and probably an easy fix, but the ring on the light, the button, was missing. 
and that holds the plate holds the button onto the plate. If you push the button, it would just go right into the plate. And it's like, man, this is a bigger issue than than just a simple plate. And I gotta figure this. Out. I'll deal with it later, and I'll have to. I gotta get this other stuff done. You'll be happy to know that uh, since I was preaching on procrastinating, I figured I better get all of these things done, and I got both of them done this week. So since I was preaching on procrastinating, I was like, I gotta practice what I preach. And so I at least got two projects done this week on top of being sick. So, uh, you know, give, I will give myself a pat on the back if nothing else. Amen. And when you have so much going on, it's difficult not to procrastinate. And especially when your mind runs like a tornado through an office, papers and ideas and lists going everywhere in your mind like mine does. And Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, excuse me, Charlotte Lieberman wrote on uh, procrastinating in the New York Times article titled "Why You Procrastinate." Thought it was interesting what she said. She said procrastination isn't a unique character flaw or a mysterious curse on your ability to manage time, but a way of coping with challenging emotions and negative moods induced by certain tasks: boredom, anxiety, insecurity, frustration, resentment, self-doubt, and beyond. The particular nature of our aversion depends on the given task or situation. It may be due to something inherently unpleasant about the task itself, having to clean a dirty bathroom or organizing a long, boring spreadsheet for your boss. But it might also result from a deeper feelings related to the task, such as self-doubt, low self-esteem, anxiety, or insecurity. It kind of gives a different picture of what, why we procrastinate. Usually it has nothing to do with the the event itself, but sometimes it deals with emotions that are uh, dealing with that event. And last week we saw that God wants to make changes in our lives little by little to make us more like Christ. However, if we allow procrastination to hinder our spiritual growth, we'll never be what God wants us to be. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, we meet Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul's father had two donkeys that had gone missing. And so Kish sent Saul along with one of his servants to go search for them. And Saul and his servant looked, went looking for the donkey for three days. And when they couldn't find him, Saul decided to turn back and so that his father wouldn't worry about them. He said, he'll forget about worrying about the donkeys. He'll begin worrying about us. And the servant suggested that they were close to this other town where this prophet was. Maybe he could help us know where the donkeys are. Maybe they should go see the prophet in the local town. Maybe he'll know where they are. And so they try this one last thing before going home. Verse 14, it says, And they went up into the city, and when they were come into the city, behold, Samuel came out against them, and for to go up to the high place. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. What was the purpose that God wanted Saul to be king? To save God's people out of the hand of the Philistines. It says, For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. When they meet Samuel, he tells the tells Saul that his donkeys have already returned to their home and invites him to stay the night with them and to eat with them. You see in chapter 8, the, pe- uh, the people of Israel have asked, uh, previously in chapter 8, the people have asked God for a king. God was their king. They had a theocracy, a country ruled by God. 
but they wanted to have a king that they could see and they could touch. And Samuel was very mad about, at Israel about this because God was their king. But God told Samuel in verse 8 of chapter 8, According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of the Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. He says, it's not, they're not mad at you, by the way, he said. Uh, don't be mad at them. They're not rejecting your leadership as a prophet. They're rejecting me. He said, but listen to them. Tell them that, that I'm hearing them. They'll get a king. But tell them what kind of thing will happen to them, what kind of leader they'll have. And God told Samuel, they're not rejecting your leadership. They're rejecting mine. So Samuel told the people what a human king would do. He warned them in these verses that he would take their sons as soldiers, that he will, they will work for him. Uh, they'll reap his harvest rather than their father's harvest. And they'll make his instruments of war. He'll take their daughters for cooks and bakers for his household. He'll take your fields and vineyards and olive yards as a tribute to him. And he'll take a tenth of your seed for his land. He'll take your servants to be his servants. And he'll be, take a tenth of your beasts and sheep as well. He said, you need to be aware of what kind of leadership you get whenever you have a human king. You won't like it then. But the people refused to hear Samuel and said, Nay, but we shall have a king over us. And so here we find the man that God has chosen for their king. And boy, does he ever fit the bill. Handsome and tall. Better looking than and more kingly man in all the land of Israel. He's the one that looks like a king. He was the good-looking quarterback who was on track for a full-ride scholarship at his chosen college. He had everything. Now let's fast forward a little bit to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. The armies of Israel, led by their king, Saul, now King Saul, are on one hill and the Philistines are on the other hill. What was it that God wanted the king of Israel to do? He wanted them to wipe out the Philistines out of the land. Here's the battle. Here's the purpose that God has called Saul to. Goliath, a hulk of a man, decked out in armor, taunts the Israelites in chapter 17, verse 8. And he says, And he stood and cried unto them, unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Where are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. All of the Israelites are terrified. No one is willing to go out into battle. Even King Saul, the biggest and the brightest of all of them, the leader, the king, the one whom God appointed to do this task right here. Then comes along David. Just a young man. Three older brothers are soldiers in King Saul's army. David came to bring supplies to his brothers from home. But here's Goliath's taunting. In verse 16 he says, And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. 
80 times Goliath taunts Israel. Verse 26, it says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away this reproach from Israel? For who is it, this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? He had faith. He knew what needed to be done, and something needed to happen. His eldest brother chastises him. But David's not distracted from his purpose. When King Saul heard that David, what David was saying, he sent for him. Verse 32, and said, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul tells, the, tells him, he said, you're just a kid. But David tells King Saul that he's already killed a bear and a lion when they attacked his sheep. Verse 36, it says, thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, that the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. We know the rest of the story, how David sinks a stone into Goliath's head and he falls. David cuts off Goliath's head and the Philistines run, and the Israelites chase after them and win the battle. We've heard the story many times in Sunday school and in church. But focusing in on Saul, why was he there on that battlefield for 40 days with an army, allowing a heathen Philistine to mock God and his people? There were emotions involved in the task that God had called him to, and he was rejecting that task in procrastination. The downfall of Saul can very closely be related to our own struggle with passivity if we're not careful. Saul was a large, gifted man called by God to lead Israel. He had everything that he needed to succeed, but he was a colossal failure. He should, have been, he should have exuded confidence. The same confidence that David did in facing Goliath. He should have been the first one to lead his people into battle, knowing that God was on his side. As much as he looked like the leader, he still refused to fight the battle. His passiveness cost him. And slowly the hearts of the people of Israel were torn, turned towards David. Decision after decision caused Saul to lose his decision, his, his kingdom. If we refuse to fight the battle that we are given, we will pay the price. Doctors and psychologists today do give us some ideas on how to tackle procrastination. Things like eat the elephant one bite at a time. The idea is a big project, you have it here. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Amen? That's how you do it. You just, little by little, you eat away at it. Take care of it little by little. Ideas like, take care of the little things before tackling the big things. They say, Tack, tackle the goblins before the dra dragons. <laughs> take care of the things that you know you can get done and you feel a sense of accomplishment. And you talk about, ignore the distractions. And focus on what you're supposed to focus on. All of that is good advice. It helps us in our daily life and procrastination. But for the Christian, 
This goes beyond just self-help. When it comes to doing the things that God gives us to do, it's a matter of obedience, not just a matter of self-help. When we put off doing what God wants us to do, we disobey. We need to be honest with ourselves and with God. We need to confess our sin of disobedience and have the faith and the courage in God's strength, not our own, have faith and courage in God's strength to enable us to do what he wants us to do. Perhaps it's a difficult conversation or confrontation that you need to have to either gain or give forgiveness. We put it off, but the result brings anxiety and worry and dread. Perhaps it's the know that you need to be a witness and you need to give out tracts, but you're, you're uh, frozen in fear and in anxiety. But you know it's right to do. You know you should be a witness. Whatever it is, we end up sometimes with sleepless nights rather than the peace that comes with just obeying, taking care of whatever it is that God is telling us to take care of. There are a few principles that I want to point out here today. Number one, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Saul did not obey. The battle began eventually. They chased after the Philistines and they fought the Philistines and they won. But Saul didn't do what God wanted him to do. He delayed in his obedience. I've often told our kids, obedience is doing what I say, when I say it, with the right heart attitude. If you don't do all three, you haven't truly obeyed. When God tells you to do something, delaying to obey is disobeying. Psalms 119 verse 60 says, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Oh, that that would be our testimony. As soon as God convicts us of something, we deal with it right then. When he tells us to do something, we step out. He says, go witness to that person. We obey right away. Oh, how happy we would be if we would. We should never be slow in obeying what God wants us to do. Without delay, make haste, as the psalm said. Obey right away. Saul knew that what he was supposed to do, he was supposed to fight the Philistines. He was there with an army. He wasn't hiding back in the castle. He was there with the army. He knew what he was supposed to do. But Saul delayed in his obedience. Saul disobeyed. And took a young man to show Saul what God could do. And it furthered King Saul's separation from his kingdom. How many times in our lives do we miss out on God's best in our lives? Just simply because we do not obey the first time the Holy Spirit convicts us. And tells us to do something. Some time ago, an 18-year-old girl from Washington State attended a worship service. For the first time in her life, she heard the gospel message. The next week, the church received a letter from her. She said, last Sunday, I attended your church and I heard your preacher. He said that all men have sinned against God. Because of their sin, they will face eternal separation from God. But then he also said that God loved men and sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to redeem men from their sins. And all those who believe in him would go to heaven and live with God eternally. 
She said, my parents recently died. I know that they did not believe in Jesus Christ. If what you believe is true, they are damned. You compel me to believe that, you're, that you're, you yourself either don't believe this message or you don't care. You see, we only live three blocks from your church and no one has ever told us. Oh, what a convicting letter. Can you imagine if we were to get a letter like that? Oh, how we need to be busy doing what God has told us to do. If we only understood the cost of our disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Thomas Acampus has been attributed as having first written these words. He said, instant obedience is the only kind of obedience there is. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Whoever strives to withdraw from obedience withdraws from his grace. Wow. What a cost for disobedience. But we see that in the life of Saul, don't we? He withdrew from the grace of God because of his disobedience. We miss the grace that God offers for that moment. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Secondly, I want us to see that partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 15 tells another situation involving King Saul's obedience. In verses 1 through 3, he says, Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to appoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did it that that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, both slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. So Saul gathered together his army. And he went to the city of Amalek and he attacked. Saul and his army smote the Amalekites. But he saved one person. The king of the Amalekites, King Agag. Verse 9 says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, and the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. They kept some back. At this, the Lord comes to Samuel and tells him that he has changed his mind regarding Saul being king. He says, I have repented making him king. He said he has turned his back from following me. Wait a minute. He went to the city. He fought the Amalekites. He killed most of them. He killed most of the sheep. He killed most of the lambs, most of the cattle. He, he did 99.99999% of the work. And yet God says, I have rejected him because he has turned his back from following me. He only saved one man, the only the best of the sheep and oxen and fatlings and the lambs. The rest he killed. Samuel comes the next day heartbroken. The Bible says that he had cried all night because of Saul. He arrives to Saul and he, Saul greets him in verse 13. And he says, and Samuel came to Saul and said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 
I've done what God told me to do. Look at this. Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And the lowing of the oxen, which I hear. He says, what, what, what do I hear then? If you did what the Lord told you to do, if you followed his command, what is this that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And the rest we will utterly destroy. He says, no, 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 you don't understand. This is for the Lord. We plan to use it to sacrifice to God. Was it a sacrifice, really? Did it cost him anything? God wanted the uh, sacrifice to be from them. He's killing somebody else's animals. <laughs> That's not a sacrifice. And we really call it that. For Samuel 15, 22 says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. I remember whenever I was a kid, my mom would tell me to take out the trash or do some other chore or go to bed or whatever it might be, and I tried to delay that as much as I possibly could. And so I'd go up to my mom and I'd give her the biggest hug and the kisses. Oh, I love you so much, Mom. But I'll never forget her telling me the story of King Saul. And she looked at me and she said, Obedience is better than hugs and kisses. I've often said that to my kids as well. It's stuck in my head for good. We want to mask our disobedience in good things. But partial obedience is still disobedience. We've seen that delayed obedience is disobedience. We've seen that partial obedience is disobedience. And now let's come to the realization that in regard to procrastination, number three, tomorrow never comes. We say, I'll do it tomorrow. But guess what? Tomorrow never comes. I'll do it tomorrow, we tell ourselves. But the truth is, as the day turns, it becomes today. And we don't want to do it even still. And we say, I'll still do it tomorrow. The new day comes new challenges, new distractions. Come January, I'll start reading my Bible more faithfully. Why not do it today? Start today. Well, I'll come to church next Sunday. Well, why not today? Why not this Sunday? I should really get more Bible instruction. And someday I, I need to start coming to Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. Well, why not tonight? We're not promised tomorrow. We can do nothing about yesterday. The only time that we have to make any changes is right now. It's the only thing we have. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. How many people woke up yesterday saying, Tomorrow I'll do such and such, but they never made it to today. On average, 150,000 people die every day around the world. 150,000. On average, that's about two every second. The next step, the next snap, could be our turn. 
We're not guaranteed any amount of time. What will we do with what we have been given right now? If you were to die today, do you know 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Hebrews 9.27 says that it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. See, there's nothingness after death. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what God says. God says it's appointed for man to die, but after this, the judgment. One out of one person people die. Humankind has a 100% mortality rate. If your time was just a few snaps away, do you know that you would be in heaven? The Apostle John said in John 15, excuse me, John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I've heard many people say, I don't know that you can ever know that you're saved. Oh, but the Bible says you can. He says, these things have I written unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the reason he wrote the book of John, 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. If you cannot say that you know 100% sure, today is the day of salvation. You need to realize that we've all sinned. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The idea of the come short is the idea of an archer missing the bullseye. Came short of hitting the bullseye. We've all failed in the area of holiness. Every one of us. I am a sinner. We're all sinners. You're a sinner. Because of falling short, there is a penalty for sin. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He says that wages, the things that we own, the wages you earn at your job is what you earn for your hard work. The wages you earn for your sin is death, eternal separation from God in hell, the lake of fire. But God never designed hell for us. He didn't make it for us. And he does not want anyone to go there. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. The people were saying, it's been this many years and yet God, Christ hasn't returned. He promises he'd return, but he's not come for so long. What is it? He said, listen, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. He keeps his promises. But the deal is, he's long-suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants to give us time to hear the truth, to obey the truth, and to come to know him as our Savior. So he's made a way of escape. We just have to, by faith, go the way that he has prepared for us. Again, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God, it's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God commendeth, he showed his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died on the cross so that we would not be separated 
from him or his father. We only have to, by faith, accept him and his death as the payment for the wages of our sin. Romans 10, verses 8 and 10 through 10 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. This is the word of faith which we preach. He says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He didn't say you might be saved. You can cross your fingers and hope. He didn't say that. He said thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Down to verse 13, he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you do not know 100% sure that you will go to heaven when you die, will you right now, as I speak these words, bow in your heart before God, confess that you're a sinner, I have sinned, Lord. I've missed the mark. Tell them that you believe that Jesus died for you and that he rose again on the third day. Tell them that you are accepting Christ as your payment, your personal Savior, the one who saved you from that eternal damnation. Tell them that you're calling upon him now to be saved. He has promised you that if you trust in him, he will in no wise cast you out. If you settle this today, don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. Settle it today. For those of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior, what are you holding back regarding our obedience to him? Are you delaying in your obedience? Then you've disobeyed. We need to confess that sin before God as sin. And we need to obey. Are you only partially obeying what he's convicted you about? Then you've disobeyed completely. We must confess to that as sin before God. Are you procrastinating and telling God that tomorrow you'll do what he wants you to do? Confess it to God. Realizing that tomorrow is not promised to you. Experts say that a lightning bolt lasts 45 to 55 microseconds. The average running shoe lasts 350 to 500 miles. A hard pencil can write up to 30,000 words. A ballpoint pen can draw a line 7,500 feet long. A 100-watt incandescent light bulb lasts 750 hours. Mine doesn't usually last that long, I don't think. A 25-light bulb is said to last 25,000 hours. $1 bill lasts 18 months in circulation. All those things last for a decent amount of time. Yet James tells us that our life is but a mist, a cloud, a smoke, a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. What will you do with your life today? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless our time today. Speak to our hearts. Lord, if there be anything in our hearts that we are withholding from you, 
and holding back and saying, Lord, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll, I'll do it later. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father, to yield it to you right now, right where we are, and say, Lord, I'll, I will obey. Here am I. I will obey. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, through this invitation song. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together, and we're going to sing a verse of invitation. We're going to sing, 